99 times in the New Testament. You heard Glenn say last week here in Longview, and I said last week in Marshall, 99 times in the New Testament the word follow is used. Most of those, the majority of them are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in reference to Jesus, the people who followed Jesus. And so in this sermon series, we're just taking seriously this idea that the Bible presents us that Jesus wants us to follow him and trying to figure out what that looks like really in our lives. Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like following someone on social media. All right, you guys know how that happens. You follow someone on social media, you click the button, you say, I, I want to follow this person. And then you watch their story unfold. I just watched a story of a guy the other day who was on a road trip. And I don't know how he was doing this, but uh, he was driving on the interstates, going north and talking and updating us. And I just kind of followed him from Texas to Arkansas, Missouri. And as he kind of went north, I don't recommend that. But following Jesus is not just watching a story unfold and then liking someone's story. Although a lot of us in church do that with Jesus, right? We know about Jesus, we hear about him, we know his stories, and we go, yeah, I like Jesus. I like it. And maybe that's the extent of our relationship with him. Maybe we even come to church and say, I know about Jesus. In fact, I like him enough to show up at church and maybe that's the extent, but following Jesus isn't just about seeing his story unfold and liking it. Following Jesus is about seeing his story unfold and saying, I'm going to live like it. That's what we're talking about when we say a follower of Jesus walks. A follower of Jesus walks with Jesus. Larry, in that video, uh, just right at the end, said something. I hope you caught it. He used a word talking about the kid's spiritual experience, their walk with God. Have you heard that? Have you been in church where you heard people talking about someone's walk with God? How's your walk with God? I'm struggling with my walk with God. Let me just, for those of you who aren't church people, I just want to let you in a little bit into our lingo and tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about the Christian experience. That's it. Your walk is synonymous with your relationship with Jesus. Are you walking with God? Think about walking for a minute. Most of us wake up every day and we walk without really giving it much thought. It just sort of is second nature. It just sort of happens, right? I, I don't give much thought to my walking. In fact, in my family, maybe you're like me. Uh, when I grew up, my family liked to make fun of me because I was the kid who always ran into the door jam, just walking into a room or coming through a hallway. And uh, no matter how hard I tried, I knew where I was going. I knew what I was supposed to do. But somehow my body just gravitated and just, I don't know. It's just, I just didn't even get much thought, right? But walking doesn't have to be unintentional. Walking can be purposeful. It can be very intentional. In fact, think about it this way. I've got a three-year-old. And when I walk with my three-year-old, uh, if you had a three-year-old ever, you know this to be true. You're constantly having to slow down and turn around so that you don't leave them behind. You're like, come on, man, let's go. All right, don't put that down. Here we go. Come, let's go. Come on, catch up. You got to be intentional about that so you don't leave them behind. Maybe it's exercise. Walking can be a great exercise, but that's intentional where you have a goal that you've set or a, uh, maybe a distance that you want to go in a certain amount of time and you know that I've got to speed up the pace sometimes or maybe I can take it a little bit easy and rest right now. Walking can be intentional and in what we're talking about, this idea of walking, it's a spiritual picture of intentionally being with Jesus. That's what we're talking about, intentionally being with Jesus. So let's see how this plays out in our Bibles in a unique way. So if you have a Bible, open it to the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 14. I wanna invite you to stand with me if you're able in honor of God's word. 
as we read on the screens and I read to you out loud. You guys can follow along silently. I'll just take this as you're looking it up and standing. Let me just take this opportunity to introduce myself. Uh, some of you don't recognize my face, and that's great. Uh, I'm okay with that, but I'm actually one of your pastors. I just serve on our Marshall campus. And so I'm often in Marshall 99.9% of the time. I uh, love you guys, and I love being a part of what God is doing here at Moberly. Pastor Glenn and, and Paul and the rest of the pastor team and the minister, we all work really closely together to create one church in multiple locations. And so it's a real honor and blessing to be able to be with you guys here in Longview today and sharing God's word with you. So in honor of God's word, uh, let's just give our attention to it and focus in on verse 22 of Matthew 14. You guys follow along silently as I read out loud. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them, walking on the sea very early in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. Thank you guys very much. You can have a seat. There's an incredible miracle here in Matthew chapter 14. And we're going to circle back to that. But right now what I want you to see is this way that Jesus and Peter walked together in an unnatural way. But I want to show you how well, we can learn from Peter three things that will help us in our walk with Jesus. And the first is that walking with Jesus is about intimacy. It's about intimacy. But think about intimacy this way. Maybe you've seen the movie Shrek. This old, old movie, animated movie. Uh, Shrek is <clears throat> this main character in the movie Shrek. He's a, kind of a monster. He's called an ogre, right? His name is Shrek. He's, a, he's an, an ogre with a name, right? But his best friend... Uh, who they kind of go through all these adventures with and, and things happen. His best friend is a donkey, but donkey's name is, is Donkey, right? And so it's this funny movie. And, and at one point, Shrek is kind of getting a little emotional. And Donkey doesn't really know how to handle it. And so Shrek says, an ogre is like an onion. And Donkey says, they stink? <laughs> and Shrek says, yeah. No, no, wait, no. No, we have layers, Ogres and onions have layers. Well, that's all we're talking about. Walking with Jesus is about intimacy, which just means that walking with Jesus means you know him in a deeper way. That you unfold and remove layers that are there, both for yourself and him in this ever-growing relationship. It's intimacy. Maybe you've dated someone and throughout your dating, if you, if you did, you probably know how good it can be just to go on a walk together. 
You ever had that experience where you just go on a walk and you don't have a destination? You're not worried about what time you're going to get back. The main point is just to be together and to know each other more. That is intimacy and that's what we're talking about when it comes to your relationship with Jesus and walking with him. And if I ask you today, if I ask you to describe your current relationship with Jesus today as it stands, I wonder what I would hear. I wonder, I bet I would hear things like, I came to church, I'm serving, I'm attending my connect group, I'm being a good person, I'm trying to do the right thing. And all these things, I'm trying to have my quiet time. All these, all these things about what you're doing for Jesus. But I wonder if you described your relationship with Jesus today, how much we would hear about just being with Jesus. Would that word with come up in your description? I hope it would. Because Jesus made a big deal out of it. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus is choosing his disciples. And in this account of Jesus choosing his disciples, he says he chose his 12 disciples to be with him. That was it, to be with him. And we know that the disciples and Jesus walked together physically for three years, day in and day out, everywhere they went. They were together walking. But what about the Old Testament? One of my favorite people in the Old Testament, the entire Bible actually, was a man named Enoch. And Enoch had this incredible story where he actually didn't die, the Bible tells us. God just took him. It says this in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God. And then he was not there because God took him. That's what it says. I can't explain that. It's a miracle. I kind of wish that would happen to me sometimes. But he was so close to God that God just decided to bring Enoch to heaven to be with him. In Matthew chapter 14, the text we're looking at today, Peter wants that intimacy with Jesus. He wants to join Jesus on the water. So he says, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, command me to come. Well, he has two requests here, two things he's looking for. Uh, and certainly he wants to be close to Jesus. He wants to be near Jesus. But also he's asking Jesus to reveal himself to Peter. If it's you. Lord, I need to know you. Have you approached your relationship with God lately as you walk with him from that standpoint to say, Lord, I need to know you if it's you. And then command me to come to you. I want to be close to you. Because walking with Jesus isn't just about being near Jesus. It's about knowing him in an ever-growing way. So what does Jesus say? He says, come. Simply come. It's an invitation to intimacy in the midst of the storm. It's an invitation to intimacy in the midst of the storm. Don't, don't miss that. Jesus didn't want Peter to wait uh, until life was more manageable to come. He, he didn't want the conditions to necessarily have to be right before Jesus uh, called Peter to come. He wasn't wanting Peter to wait for a more convenient time. He just said, come. And in the midst of the wind and the waves and rowing against the wind and the, the storm coming, and Jesus walks out into the water and says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks to him because he wants to know him. Do you know that Jesus wants to be close to you right now? Jesus wants a personal relationship with you right now? 
What's holding you back? Is it that you're waiting for the right time? Is it that you still have some questions that need to be answered before you feel confident enough to make that kind of step toward Jesus? He wants to know you. And you can know him in an intimate way. And faith is the only thing that got Peter out of the boat. It wasn't that he had all the answers. It wasn't that he knew what was going to happen. He just had faith. And he got out of the boat and took those first steps and trusted Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So where is Jesus in your life right now? Before you get too far answering that question for yourself, I want to tell you he is closer than you think. He's closer than you think. He's very close. And he's reaching out just like he did for Peter when Peter began to fail. He's reaching out with a hand outstretched to rescue you. If only you will call upon him to say, Lord, save me. He wants to rescue you from the penalty and the power of your sin. He's that close to you. And if you already know him in that way, if he's already rescued you from your sin, he's calling you to come closer to know him in a deeper way, to be more intimate with him in your knowledge of Jesus. Walking by faith in every moment. You know, walking by faith with Jesus is about intimacy, but it's also about imitation. I told you I have a three-year-old, and my favorite moments as a dad have been uh, when my three-year-old wants to dress like me uh, or he wants to walk with me where I'm going. He wants to be where I'm going, wants to do what I'm doing. You've, you've had those kind of moments, I hope, if you're a parent. And, you know, if I've got my drill out, then he's got his little plastic drill, you know. And if I'm hammering something, he wants to be hammering something, and whether I want to or not, you know. And if I'm in the garage, he's in the garage. If I'm walking to my truck, He's like, Daddy, you're going to your truck? Something's happening. I want to be there with you. You know, okay, we're going to the truck. Something's about to go down. But then he started talking. <clears throat> and some of you who are parents have had this experience too, where all of a sudden something comes out of their mouth that you recognize, <laughs> that you probably never intended for them to hear, much less repeat, but it still happens. <laughs> And you kind of have to navigate that too. Is that how, can I get an amen from any parents? Am I the only person that goes through that? Okay, I am. All right, just me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <clears throat> well, <laughs> those are my favorite moments as a dad. The disciples really got to walk with Jesus every day. Three years. They saw him in every situation. They saw how he reacted. They watched him up close when he was sad. When he was angry, when he was happy, full of joy, they were with him for three years. They got to see how to live like Jesus. But Peter just wanted to do what Jesus was doing. That was his mindset, walking out onto the water. He wanted to do what Jesus was doing, even though he had never seen Jesus do that before. I don't miss that. Andy Hills, our executive pastor of ministries, he started late last year. If you haven't met him, you need to meet him. But he led our uh, staff meeting on Monday where both campuses every month come together for an all-staff meeting. And he led our meeting on last Monday. He challenged us with this question. How many of you believe that God can do more than you've seen him do in the past? And he followed it up with a statement that most of us 
pretend, although we've read Ephesians 3.20, which is now that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, most of us tend to limit God only to what we've seen him do in the past. Peter experienced something wholly new. He had never seen Jesus walk on water, but because he sought to follow Jesus through imitation, he wanted to do what Jesus did. He followed him and walking out onto the water. I mean, that's a good way to live, to do what Jesus does. Walking with Jesus means imitating him, doing what he does, thinking like he thought, valuing what Jesus valued. Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So how do we learn to imitate God? Well, the disciples, we said, were physically with Jesus. Three years, day in and day out. And we don't have that luxury, but we do know how Jesus lived because he wrote it down. And we have it right here. In the Holy Bible, the inerrant and inspired word of God that's available to each and every one of us to see up close and personal how Jesus reacted when he was sad or upset or angry or happy or joyful. We have access to God through this in holy, inspired, breathed by the spirit word of God. He's communicating to us because he wants to know us and us to know him. So we can imitate what Jesus did while he was here because we know Jesus always got it right. If you've got a question for how to live, look to the life of Jesus. As you read the Bible, regularly interacting with it, you discover truths about Jesus. And as you discover those truths, you've got to take another step, right? You've got to own those truths. You've got to apply them to your life. And I guarantee you, when you begin to apply the truths about Jesus to your life, all of a sudden you're going to find that when you live a life of imitating Christ, you will begin to lead other people spiritually. And if that doesn't sound familiar to you, let me just remind you about our mission as a church, people leading people to a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus. This is how it happens. And this is this cycle of discipleship that uh, we, we talk about all the time when we talk about merge, right? Merge, you've heard that term, combining the influence of church and home. You build those spiritual foundations and then we find spiritual birth where we receive Christ and then we discover spiritual truths and own them, applying them to our lives so that we can then lead other people. And then our entire lives are this cycle of discover, own, lead, discover, own, lead about spiritual truths. We do that from the scripture. Paul emphasizes this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, when he says, do what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. And then he wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 11, verse 1, 1 Corinthians, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Walking with Jesus is about imitation. You want to know how to live. You want how to be a follower of Jesus. Look to his life and do what he did. And realize that it has generational implications. It has generational implications. I, I spoke about merge and I talked about that combining the influence of church and home. And if I could just give you a little parenthetical pastoral shepherding moment for those of you who have kids or those of you who are spiritual leaders in anyone's life, a grandparent or something like that, think about this. 
The disciples had three years with Jesus, right, to imitate him, to learn every move and how he would respond. And then when Jesus ascended to heaven, they were left to remember those moments and apply them to their life and own and lead out from then on, right? And then later on, we got the scripture and we're able to see all these things. But, but in that time, they had to really rely on those three years of imitating Jesus. And Jesus perfectly did that. For them, he, he knew without a doubt that what he had led them to would be what they needed as if they imitated him to accomplish his will, to live out their faith, to follow, to be responsible and growing followers of him. But what about your life? There's nothing magical, I don't think, or mystical about the three years that the disciples spent with Jesus. But what if you applied that rubric to your own family or spiritual influence and you thought about how every three years you have a specific amount of influence on someone else, whether it's a kid or someone else you have spiritual influence over. And that every three years, maybe you use that as a milestone marker to think about what their life and relationship with Jesus looks like based on how they imitate you. So I've got a three-year-old. And I'm just beginning this process. But as a spiritual leader in my home, I've got to be thinking. My three-year-old is now beginning to talk. He's beginning to form relationships with people. He's beginning to, you know, just go on adventures and want to do things by himself. All those kinds of things. Does his life, as he imitates me, reflect how I imitate Christ at three and that looks very different from someone who's six, right? Who's now like beginning school and they're learning to read and they're now beginning friendships with people who you don't know their families and all that kind of stuff. Are they as a six-year-old going out on their own to school every day, are they imitating you in a way that you would want them to reflecting Jesus Christ? They are imitating you, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, but does it reflect what you want it to reflect in Jesus Christ? How about nine years old? And I don't want to scare you. I just want you to be aware, parents especially. We know now in this day of technology that by nine years old, the majority of our kids, if not the major majority of our kids, have been exposed to pornography by nine years old. Did you know that? That ought to just inspire some compassion in your heart for our children and for our parents the things that they have to navigate. But that's the world we live in. So maybe after three years, they're nine years old. Is their life and the way they interact with technology and friends, are they reflecting Christ as you reflect Christ? Because you have an opportunity to lead them. At 12, they're preteens. And oh my, they are preteens. If anybody's had a preteen, you can attest to this. I'll tell you, I was a preteen. Those are the worst years of my life. I do not envy 12-year-olds. They need our help. They need our love. They need our compassion. They need our spiritual leadership and as we imitate Christ so that they can then imitate Christ, making great decisions as they are experiencing hormonal changes and they're beginning relationships with significant others and those kind of things, they're exploring life in that way. They need to be able to follow. How about 15? 15, just three years later, they're starting to go out on their own. They're starting to experience that freedom. It's a little hint of that they're about to fly the coop. They're getting their driver's licenses. They're taking driver's ed. That's another milestone moment where we as spiritual leaders ought to be looking at our children and saying, am I imitating Christ in a way that my children are imitating me so that they look like Christ at this moment? And then three years later, they're 18. And they're ready to leave the house, Lord willing. 
do they look like Christ as an 18-year-old? Do they look like Christ because you look like Christ? Think about your spiritual leadership. Imitating Christ has generational implications. It's not just about intimacy and imitation. Walking with Jesus is also about integrity. So help me out. I want you guys out loud to finish this statement. You got to be confident too, right? I know you know it. If you talk the talk, you better <laughs> you better walk the walk. If you talk the talk, you better walk the walk. Integrity simply means that all the parts fit together, that there's no pieces missing or pieces out of place. And clearly, if you talk the talk but don't walk the walk, something is missing. You know, you go back to verse 30 and you see how Peter uh, <clears throat> faced the wind and, and uh, the strength of the wind and he became afraid and, and he began to doubt and he f- began to sink. And Jesus had to rescue him. Some people like to hate on Peter when his faith was shaken. But I want you to think of it this way. Why was Peter the only one to get out of the boat? Weren't all the other guys in the boats followers of Jesus? Didn't they want to trust Jesus in that way, to be walking with him when he did something they have never seen him do before? Don't you think they wanted that kind of experience to be close to him and to know him in that way? To experience the miracle? I don't know. But even though Peter sank, he had the integrity to follow through on his talk. In verse 28, if it's you, command me to come. With his walk, in verse 29, he got out of the boat and he took those steps toward Jesus. He walked with Jesus, even in a very scary place. Listen to what Brendan Manning said. He's an author. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel about 30 years ago. And uh, it was a book that really influenced me in my life and, and growing and owning my faith. But he said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Unbelievable. Will what you say at church this morning be carried out in your walk with Christ this week? Do you have the kind of integrity in your walk with Jesus to follow through? You're here. You attend a connect group. You're opening the Bible. You're being exposed to the living and active word of God. You're singing worship. Will everything that happens in these couple of hours be reflected in your life as you walk with Jesus this week? That's what the integrity of walking with Jesus is about. You will fail. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I'll fail. Peter fell. But Jesus was there. And when Peter sank, he cried out, Lord, save me, and Jesus grabbed him. Peter's most important miracle by the way, I told you we would circle back to the miracle. Peter's most important miracle was not what he was able to do on the water. But it's what Jesus did for him when he realized he could do nothing for himself. That was the miracle. It's not walking on the water, although that was miraculous. The greatest miracle that happened that day 
was what Jesus did for Peter when Peter realized he could do nothing for himself. When Peter came to the place that he cried out, Lord, save me, Jesus did. He rescued him. And that miracle was simply a response to the miracle that Jesus had already done. Think about it. Jesus walked on the sea all the way to the boat through the storm before the disciples ever got to him, ever noticed him. Jesus was walking to them. Jesus initiated Peter's rescue. Jesus initiated Peter's rescue and all Peter had to do was receive it. You see where I'm going with this? You may have taken a step toward Jesus today. You came to church, you're here. Maybe you're trying to, to live like him. You're trying to follow him. You want to be close to him. You're trying to be a good person. But our best effort will never get us to Jesus. Have you owned that truth? That your best effort can never get you to Jesus? Sin will always keep us separated from God. And will ultimately lead to our eternal death unless you come to the place of faith like Peter to say, Lord, save me. And would you realize that you can do nothing for yourself in relationship to your sin? And you cry out to Jesus to say, Lord, save me. Jesus will save you. That's incredible news. That's incredible news. But guess what? Jesus has already made that miracle possible by a miracle of his own. When he came to earth to live a perfect life and be punished for the sins of the world by dying on a cross and then defeating death by being raised from the dead, Jesus initiated your rescue. It's already done. He's already done the work. Have you received it? He came all the way to you. All you got to do is say, Lord, save me. See, we think that that was the end of faith for Peter. We think that when Peter began to sink, that that's when he lost his faith. But let me tell you, when he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me, that was the greatest act of faith that he could have because he knew he had nothing else to give. He had, he had to rely completely on the power and the presence of Jesus Christ to rescue him from drowning. Friend, today, Jesus wants to rescue you from drowning in sin. He wants to pull you up. When you cry out to him, Lord, save me, he is there, he is waiting, he is close. He wants to grab your hand and pull you up and bring you from death to life, like those verses in Ephesians that Tim read to us talk about. He wants to pull you from drowning to breathing in eternal life in him. And it's the only way that we can get it eternal life, is to be rescued by him. Jesus initiated your rescue from sin, your rescue from eternal death to eternal life. All you need to do is receive it by faith. Hey, would you pray with me this morning? God, today we are here just saying in our hearts and to you, maybe for the first time, that we cannot save ourselves. That we can do nothing without you. God, we need you. 
And my prayer today is that someone in this room is realizing that for the first time, that they cannot make it to heaven by their effort. They cannot know Jesus by their effort. And as they come to know that truth, God, I pray that they would receive your rescue, that they would cry out in their hearts, Lord, save me, and that Jesus, you would save them from their sin and establish them in their eternal life in heaven through a relationship with Jesus based on faith. That's our prayer today. Thank you, God, that you want to know us, that you long for that personal relationship with us, to walk with us. Wherever you go, we go. Whatever you do, we do. Help us to live like you. In Jesus' name, amen.